series called The Parables. It's been so good as we, we go beyond the surface of what the parables is. You know that, that uh, two-thirds, two-thirds, or actually a third, a third of the, of the Gospels, a third of what Jesus was speaking, the recorded sayings of Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels are in parables. Jesus, he spoke in parables. So we have to seek to understand what it is below the surface of what Jesus was saying. And so this morning, we're actually going to be stepping into reading about one of probably the most famous parable of them all. And it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so that's what I'm talking about. Somebody likes the Good, the parable of the good Samaritan. So it's so, it's so well known, right? It's, it's considered good. When, when somebody tells you, man, you're, you're, you're a good Samaritan. Taylor, you're such a good Samaritan. <laughs> it, it feels good. It's, it's a good thing to be known as that. But, but, it, but it's not just, I want to go beyond a, a virtuous title this morning. I want to, I want to go beyond what, what we think and what we thought about the, the parable and see what Jesus was saying in the context of the culture that was at that time, the context of the culture that he was living in, he was ministering. Because on the surface, it, it's easy to see that it's just a call to help people, right? It's a call to be aware. It's a call to, call to lend a, a helping hand, to, to be generous, uh, to, to, to have a, a, a charitable heart, right? You too. You too, each and every one of you, you can be a good Samaritan for $4.99 a week. I think it's like the cost of a, it's the cost of a cup of coffee. Well, probably not anymore, but I don't think so. But, but you, you, you get what I'm saying, right? And, and don't get me wrong. D- donations and being generous and doing those things and giving of what God has blessed you with, that's great and it's necessary. Amen? But the question is, is a donation all that following Jesus requires of us? Is that it? Is that what Jesus was talking about? Because receiving his cross sacrifice is the prerequisite of a, of a different life for a different life. A life not just influenced but dictated by who Jesus is. An example of his ministry and we become we become extensions of him a, a portion of his body Paul tells us like we read in Romans 12 1 and 2 it says therefore I urge you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies dedicating all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, it's your logical, your, your intelligent, your intellectual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed. And read that with me. And what? And, and progressively changed. As you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Because because of Christ, we have been called to be different, amen? The, to be countercultural. That's something that we say often that, that God has called us to be countercultural, to go against the grain. And so I, I do believe Jesus wants more than just a donation. It's more than just a box that we check off on a Sunday or, or, or on a giving thing or, or anything that we do. It's more than that, it's deeper than that. 
It's more than just being a nice person. It's more than acquiring a vir- that virtuous title of Good Samaritan. Let's, let's get into Luke's gospel. Let's unpack this, what Jesus is teaching, and see if we can further clarify this question, right? So we're going to be looking at Luke 10, which is the only gospel that records this. And so he says, Luke 10, starting in verse 25, and by the way, you can, you can find all the, the, the message, the notes, all the message notes and a bunch of other information uh, if you go to onechapel.com or you can scan the QR code. Just a little side note there before we start reading. Ready? Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, What's written in the law, he replied. It's Jesus speaking back to him. How do you read it? And so the, the law expert answered this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responds, you've, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But... He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? And, and so, so Jesus, I love this. Jesus looks at him. He asks a question. Jesus responds with a question. Then he asks another question. Jesus responds with another question. Tells him, yeah, you're thinking right. Then he asks another question. Jesus goes, a man was going, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, he beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But, story's changing right here, about to change. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he, then he put a man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then he turns to the, to the law expert and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the law expert, he had to reply, or the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is true. Lord, and it shapes us, it molds us. It exposes the things in our hearts, Lord, and that's what we want it to do. We hold your word up to our hearts we hold your word up to our minds. We hold your word up to all that we are, God. Have your way. You believe that? Say amen. amen. Come on. Let's, so let's lay some groundwork to, to understand the context of this parable. I like to teach and study these parables kind of in an in a expository way. As we go through scripture line by line, just kind of unpacking what Jesus is saying in the context of, of the culture that is in that time, right? I, I think it helps us as we go through those moments to understand, okay, what is Jesus really saying and how does, how does it affect the people around him that are listening? So it almost, it almost makes me think of, of the, the chosen. How many of you have seen the chosen? And that's so good, right? How they depict Jesus going from town to town, speaking and preaching. He's, he's, he's about to get into it. And so, so I, I love that. I, I love having that picture as we delve into this. 
But you know what Jesus was talking, he wasn't, he wasn't the, the kingdom that he was preaching about, the kingdom he was speaking of was not the kingdom that the people around him were expecting, amen? Like, like Jesus was, was always upsetting people. And, and, and those people that were upset, out, they all, it's interesting how they followed him wherever, they, wherever he went. Church, Jesus wasn't afraid to upset some people. Jesus wasn't, wasn't fearful of, of speaking the truth of the word of God. Jesus wasn't, wasn't fearful to stand up and say, hey, th- this is what I believe. This is truth. What you are doing, what you're thinking, the way you're living is, is not right. Church, we have to be like that. that they're, they're, I, don't, I don't know if, if you've looked around. I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox here a little bit. But I don't know if you've looked around at the world that's, that's happening around us. And, and, and it, it almost feels like the, the Lord has given them to the, to the sinfulness of their hearts. We see that in Scripture. But if there was ever a time for us as a church to stand up and to be holy and to be righteous and to stand for integrity, church, it is now. It is now. There is a, there is a, there's coming a time where this thing is going to really get bad. And we have to be ready. Amen? So Jesus taught. Jesus was always upsetting people. Jesus taught and exemplified the kingdom of God as an upside-down kingdom. And it, it was hard for them to grasp in that, in that moment. And it remains true for us today. He, he says that, and we're going to see that. And so as we delve into this, verse 25, we see immediately, teacher, what should I do to inherit life? But we understand that Jesus was, te- he was testing Jesus. Listen, it was the right question. There was nothing wrong with the question, what should I do to inherit the kingdom of God? The right question to the right person with the wrong attitude. <laughs> right and we've seen this before this this question is was often asked of jesus right we saw the rich young ruler right and that's the that's the beauty of asking jesus those questions because he on the outside if you remember that story man he said well you gotta you gotta follow the commandments you gotta do this this and this and the jewish ruler was like well i've done all those things like i do that all the time but Jesus saw his heart. He saw the motives of his heart. And he said, okay, we'll sell everything you have and follow me. He's like, oh, Jesus, hey, wait a minute. The Bible says he walked away sadly. We see this. Everyone is seeking, seeking eternal life but not willing to pay the price of it. So Jesus replies to his question with a question. Interesting, question to question. He says, well... What, what is what's written in the law? How, how do you read it? And this, this was actually, this was part of the custom as, as a priest to a, a, a student, as a teacher, as a rabbi to a student, would often ask the student, well, well, how do you interpret that? What do you think that means to gauge where the student was at with the knowledge and the understanding of what he had for the scriptures that he was quoting? So this young man, I feel like he's, he's had this opportunity, like, okay, I'm going to give it to him now. I'm going to let him know what I know. I'm going to tell him. So he replies, he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, which, which was something that every Jewish boy would have been taught from a young age. This is a Shema. We find this in Deuteronomy 6.5. It's, it's what Moses established to the, in the, to the nation of Israel. And, and it, it was something that they memorized. And so he knew it. He had this deep in his heart. He, he brought it out just like that. It's like your favorite verse. You can just recite your favorite verse. It's the same thing this, this law expert did. But 
listen, he didn't stop there because what he did was he took two things. Because when he added, love your neighbor as yourself, he actually took two parts of the law and he put them together. Right? So, so the first part is the Shema found in Deuteronomy. The next part is found in Leviticus. Both from, both from Moses, but now we're, we're, he's giving this, this context of where, who he is and what he understands and how he feels, how he thinks, how he lives his life. And so Jesus responds simply by, okay, well then do this and you will live. But we can miss, if, if we don't look, we can miss that Jesus responded in the same posture from the same context of Leviticus to what he was saying from the law. Jesus, Jesus matched his perspective in this moment. He said, okay, well then go do, go do that and you shall live. He's, Jesus says it this way. See if I can get this right. He says, Tuta poyeo kai zao. This do and thou shalt live is what's written in the Greek text. Jesus responds to him using the same concepts, the same ideas, the same understanding that this, this law expert has, standing on the law of Moses, quoting what he's learned from a, from a young age. Quoting the, the promises of, of the Torah, life for obeying God's covenant. Exactly what, what he was raised, it's what he'd raised, learned, it's what he memorized. He understood that it was, it was the way we live. It was by which we abide, which we can, we can derive, right? That, 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 was, that was where he was coming from. That was, that was his, his position, his stance. And we see that from what Luke was telling us, even from the beginning, because he wanted to test Jesus from the very beginning, from his, his intent through it all. We see that in what, how Luke is describing this very thing. Let's keep on going. So wanting to justify himself, there it is. And who is my neighbor? It's interesting that when our, our ideals are challenged, when, when, when the way we've, we've always done things, this is the way we do it because it's the way I do it. It's my way. Or what we think is, is right and how I live my life. When, when those things are, are stirred, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about the surface things, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about the little things, right? Because, because we, we've all laughed and, and, and had conversations about, well, you know, I, I, you know, Christina drove here. I just held the steering wheel. I, 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 saw, I saw this one couple talking, and they were like, you know, they were, they were given the scenario. What would happen if one of us had passed away? And the guy was like, oh, babe, I don't, know what, I, don't, I don't know what I would do. I would drive into a parking lot. I wouldn't know which parking space to park in. I've yet to make that decision in the 20-some years that we've been married, the guy was saying. Not me, babe. I like it when you tell me where to park. I love that. One less thing for me to think about, fellas. <laughs> right those are those are the surface things those are like oh, okay you know i love my wife we've been married it doesn't even matter it's a little it's a, it's a little little information a little, little little nugget for the the newlyweds the young couples that are married it ain't worth it just it's all right just park there <laughs> you're good I'm, ta- I'm not talking about those surface things i'm talking about the how and the why the, the, the how and the why we make life decisions, the things that we do, how, how and why we, we raise our kids the way we raise them, how, how we invest our time, 
how we make our financial investments, short-term and long-term, uh, how, how we make those deep-seated, those values, that, the, those morals that we carry and that we hold. When those things are challenged, the way, Je- the way Jesus is challenging this law scholar, this educated man, the justification of his life, dictating decisions, shaping truth, drives his response. He's challenging him. He's justifying what, what he thinks and why he does what he does. Well, then, who is my neighbor? And it does, the word of God does the same to us. <laughs> it does the same thing to us when we're challenged by Scripture. Sometimes we react the same way. When Scripture challenges my truth, my truth, my, my reality, when Scripture goes against what I feel, it's, it's right because I feel, it's, that's what I feel is right. What I define through my extensive and my vast cognitive understanding of life. Yeah, justification, it rises quickly in us. When we're challenged by the word, when we're challenged by the spirit of God, when he stirs something in our hearts. Because the Bible says that the word of God is a double-edged sword. That cuts deep into who we are in contrast to who Jesus requires us to be. That's what it says in Hebrews 4.12. The Bible says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. As you go through that scripture, it says, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word, it illuminates who we are and who we are not. Had, had, this, had this expert of the law, had, had, he, had he heard what Jesus had been saying? Had, had he been told? Had, had it, is, is it set up? I don't know. Quite honestly, I don't, I don't, the, the scripture doesn't really validate. It doesn't really clarify if this is actually fiction or nonfiction. Just, just make that clear. I, I, I don't know. Because, because listen, he, he's asking the, the very question that we can see Jesus challenging the law of Moses in Matthew 5, 43, when it says Jesus, it was recorded, the words of Jesus where he said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You see, that was a challenge because for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests of those times, it was, it was easy. It was easy to stand on love thy neighbor because these guys are my neighbors because we all think the same and we all like each other and it's all good. I'm good with these guys. But, but, but when you, you call me to look beyond my little circle, well, hold on now. Wait, wait a minute. That, 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 that's harder said than done. There's, there's no challenge in that. They were, they were the elite. They, they were the knowledge. They were the, the learned, the Bible scholars. But Jesus was teaching, what Jesus was teaching was beyond their, their self-righteous sect. Because compassion is at the root of all that Jesus was doing. And when the question, who was my neighbor, is asked, Jesus in these next few verses tries to convict and soften. I believe if you look at the context, if you look at the scripture, if you look at what is happening, I feel like Jesus was telling the story to try to soften the heart of this law expert to get him to understand the new kingdom of God that he was trying to establish. The true kingdom of God. In verse 30, Jesus shifts into parable mode, and he starts, he starts this, and it's interesting. Instead of cons- continuing to go from question to question to respond with a question, he, st- he starts into this story, right? 
Jesus is, is reorienting. He's, he's redefining how this culture defined neighbor. And the reality of it, Jesus was, was taking it back to its original state, what the father intended when he gave it to Moses. And so he presents three characters in the story, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. They all walk into church one Sunday and, no. <laughs> but no, this is intentional. This is intentional because Jesus is flipping people's religious worlds upside down. He's challenging them across the board. And we see, so the priest comes in. He presents the priest. The priest comes and he walks to the other side of the road. Sees the guy. Notices the guy. Walks to the other side of the road. Levite does the same thing. The Samaritan, well, let's, just, let's hit pause here. Because I want to give you just a little bit of context before we move on. Almost like a movie when we go back in history and we find out what it was. So the priest and the Levite elevated in the view of the Jews. They, they had high positions. They were honored. Everybody wanted to be like them. It's almost like Taylor up here on the guitar. Everybody wants to sing like that dude. And so, so they, they had high positions. They were elevated. But the Samaritans, well, you have to go all the way back to, to the time of King Jeroboam. Right? King Jeroboam and the, 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 Assyrians, the Assyrians, they invaded Israel and, and from, the, from the beginning, in, in the law of Moses, Jesus had decreed that the nation of Israel should not intermarry with any other nation to keep that nation pure. Because God was saying, you get, you get mixed up with those people, then, you know, you get that, and then she's going to want to, she or he, I'm not just saying the women, she or he, they, they got their other gods, and they got all these things. There was all these, this stuff that came along with these other nations, these rituals, and God was saying, listen, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. So when the Assyrians, they invaded Israel, they not only invaded them, but they, they colonized with them. They stayed there. And so all, just a, what happened? <laughs> it, an Israelite looked over and saw this girl, and he's like, man, you look good. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 or maybe a, a, an Assyrian or a Persian or, or, the, or any, any group of those people that were under that Assyrian umbrella looked over at the Israelite lady and was like, man, kind of nice. So they got together. And, long story short, they got together. They had children. Those children now become Samaritans. Looked down upon, rejected, considered evil because they went outside of what God had decreed. They went outside of the law that Jesus, that God, that the Father had established through Moses that you shall be a nation that is holy and set apart. And so when, when Jesus presented this story, but it's, it's, it's easy to understand and it's easy to see that, that everybody around him that was, were a bunch of Jews and Gentiles. But everybody around him that was Jews would have been like, Samaritan? What? He was using the lowest of the low to bring life and hope. He, he, he used the, 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 the nation that the Jewish people despised. I mean, they thought of them as low as you can think about somebody. Actually, the way they thought of them is you think of the lowest you can think about somebody. You go down another 10,000 feet, that's where they thought the Sumerians were. They were beneath everything. That's who they thought Sumerians were. There was, there was discrimination, and you see it throughout the Scripture from, the, from Jew to Gentile, from Jew to Sumerian. 
We see that discrimination. Just think about the story in John 4, the woman at the well, her having to come at midday in the heat of the day to get water, and Jesus having that interaction with her. You read that story, there's confusion. She says, well, you say to worship here. These people say to worship over there. What's going on? And Jesus clarifies it for her. You see that. You see it all throughout Scripture. And matter of fact, even in, in John 8, 48, the Jewish, the Jewish people speaking to Jesus say this. Are we not right when we say you are Samaritan and that you have a demon and are under its power? That's the way they viewed Jesus. That's the way they viewed Samaritans. So the worst you could say about somebody was a demon-possessed Samaritan. You get the picture? Let's go back to the story. A priest walks on the other side of the road. A Levite walks on the other side of the road. Two people that were supposed to love others. It was, it, was, it was what Moses, it was what God told Moses, I was going to set you apart. I was going to bless you to be a blessing. Two people that were supposed to embody who Jesus was were in fact bankrupt. They were devoid of truth, of who the Father is and who the Father had established them to be from the very beginning, full of religion and legalism, full of, they were pompous and they were stiff-necked, they were pretentious you can add any other adjective you want to add. That's who they were. They were hollow. They were empty. In fact, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombstones. They were dead inside. And Jesus, once again, through a story, through a parable, in a very intentional and public way, was indicting the Jewish nation. He was talking about them right to their face in the middle of everybody in the public square. That's what Jesus was doing. And we pick it up in verse 34. And, and what Jesus is talking about, what the Samaritan does, you, you get the idea of how shocking this is. How, how, how just unthinkable it is. This is the way Jesus presents it. He went, he went to him, this Samaritan, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put a man on his own donkey. He brought him to the inn and he took care of him. What did he do? He stopped. He stopped. The priest went on the other side of the road and kept on going. The Levite, same thing. The Samaritan, the guy that nobody likes, the guy that was the lowest of the low, he stopped. He's the only one. The one that, the one that was despised and seen as, as evil had compassion on him. He stopped. The, the guy was on the road. He was going somewhere. He had something to do. He had an objective. He had a task. Somebody was waiting on him. Whatever it was, he was going somewhere, but he stopped. We don't, we don't slow down much less stop. <laughs> but he, he, he didn't just stop. He, he didn't just stop and go, man, bro, you messed up. But I hope you get better. I'm going to pray for you. I'm, I'm, let me do it again because some of y'all didn't get it. Man, whew, wow, that's tough. Man, that's a bad situation. In your mind, you're like, man, get away. And that's why sometimes we just say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to believe you in Jesus' hands because his hands are capable, more capable than mine. Right? But it's, it's what we do. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. He didn't just stop. He bandaged his wounds. He used his supply of oil and wine. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to the inn, and he told the innkeeper, take care of him. 
And this is, and this is the way he did it in the Greek. These, these, these are words, these words of bandaging, these words of pouring oil. He, he didn't just put a few drops and be like, oh, I can't use my oil. I can't use too much of my oil. I paid for this. No, he excessively poured the oil on the wounds. He rubbed them. He loved them. He got off of his own donkey. He put, them, put him on his donkey and he decided, I will walk so that you don't have to because of the state that you're in. He did that. And he stayed the whole night with him. Not, not only was he on his way to go do something and then saw the man stop, took all that time. He went and took him to the inn. He spent all night with him, taking care of him, making sure he was okay. Because the Bible tells him he was half dead. How do I know he stayed with him the whole day? Look at the very next verse. And then verse 35, the next day, he stayed with him all night. He took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra charge expense, any extra expense you may have. Let me put this into perspective. You can look, on, you can look in your Bible, and if any, any notes that you have there will tell you that a denarii is about a day's wage for labor. Two denarii is about a day's wage for, a day's wage for labor. You, you can see that. And he said, look after him. He took care of him. Essentially, that, that, when, you, when you take the, the, the Greek, the, the, the intent of those words, he tells that innkeeper, the innkeeper, you do what I have done to him. You treat him the same way. Don't, don't, don't leave him. Maintain the level of care that I've established for this man. Do, with, do to him as I have done to him. To put this into perspective, how much this would have been, these two denarii that he gave to this innkeeper. Uh, as I was researching some of this, I came across this pastor that was speaking of this discovery that was made in, in, the, the, in the Roman Empire around that area, that from, from an inn that was in the Roman Empire, excuse me. And they're, they're, they discovered this sign, right? And just, this just gives context. It's not exactly what it is. See, if context, they, give, they discovered this sign that said that, that, that you, they could uh, they could make out that an inn for one night was one thirty-second of a denarii for one night. This man gave him two denarii, which would, which would indicate that he essentially gave, he paid for two months of stay for the, for the man. The amount, the amount given by this evil Samaritan. What's the point? This was, this was just lavish. This was excessive this was excessive care for a neighbor. This was excessive care for uh, a friend. This was excessive care for, for maybe even an enemy. It was excessive. He, he poured everything that he has. He went over the top. And again, I tell you, Matthew 5, 43, Jesus said, you've heard it's the law say, love your neighbor as yourself. And love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Not to mention the, these, these particular type of ends were just, was just a catch-all. It's like, man, you, you got some money, come and stay here. It doesn't matter who you are, just come and stay. Just, just imagine giving two months, two months stay. And then, and then he says, and then whatever you got to do, do it for him, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll square up when I get back. You're basically giving this innkeeper that may have been a little bit shady, he giving, him, giving him a blank check and tell him, hey, do what you got to do. Take care of him. It's excessive. If there, was, if there was ever an, an opportunity for extortion, there it is. It's right there. Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you with any expense. Any expense. 
Who, who, who does this? Who, who, who loves like this? Who cares like this? I, I don't. By the, by the quietness of this room, I just say you don't. <laughs> Maybe you're watching. You're convicted. And you say, I don't. Jesus is describing here the, the, the definition of love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the lavishness, right? This is love without limits. This is love without boundaries. This is, this is how we love ourselves. We must understand, right? This is something that, that we have to see, but through it all, this, uh, uh, through, uh, uh, around the lavishness, through the lavishness, through, through this love without boundaries, understanding what Jesus is describing, this, the depth to discover in the story of the Good Samaritan, that Jesus doesn't request a portion of you. He requires it all. As, as followers of Jesus, it is, it is it's a prerequisite to give him everything. He doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want a portion. He wants all of you. Matthew 22, 37 says, he replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, every day, all the time. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a synopsis of, the, of what the, the law of Moses was. But this is how he loved us. He gave it all. He gave it all for us. Read this with me and, and as you look at it on the screen. Just let it, let it penetrate your heart and your mind. This is the way Jesus loved us. In Philippians 2, 1 through 8 in the message version, it says, If you've gotten anything out of following Christ, if his love has made a difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with, one, with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget, forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages that the status of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. And it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. <laughs> and the worst kind of death is that, a crucifixion. Jesus ends this parable with a question to the law expert. And he says, which of these do you think is his neighbor? Which, which one of them did what, what the law is saying to do? Which one of them did what, what you're supposed to be doing? And to that, the, the law expert had to reply, well, 
the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus' final instructions to him were, go and do likewise. Taylor, you guys come help me finish. I want to believe that, that there was a change in this man's heart. But like I told you before, it's fiction, nonfiction. I don't know. The scripture doesn't really tell us that. But you and I are here. You and I are here. We're listening. You're there. You're listening wherever you're at. And you're, you may be thinking what I was thinking when I was going through this. I was like, man, I can't. Lord, I, Lord, I, I want to serve you. God, I, I, I want to give you all that I am. But Lord, I can't do this to everybody every day, all the time, God. Like, I, I think myself good, but Lord, God, this is, this is so huge. It's such a big task. And when you think about it that way, it becomes impossible. And, 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 and you can easily defeat yourself before you even get started. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus isn't asking you to save the entire world. Just the ones that he leads you to. Just the ones that he puts in your path. That's it. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Jesus, as he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Those moments, in those moments as we pray those things, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we choose to exude this type of lavishness at, at the opportunities that God gives us. It takes understanding, it takes a connection, it takes a focus on who the, our King is, who our Savior is and what he's done for us. And will, will you choose to do this? And wherever it happens, where, whatever, wherever the position is, whether it's your coworker or a city group or, or your family or, or maybe even your enemy, maybe even that person that you really, really, really don't like, how will you go about your daily life for the rest of this year? This next week coming up, bring it in a little bit. How will you go about your daily life? Head down, focused on your own struggle, your own life, your own success, your, your, expanding your kingdom, leaving a legacy for, for your family, your lineage. Is it all for you? Or like the Samaritan, will you, will you choose to watch the side of the road? Ross asked the question a couple Sundays ago, what are you going to do with Jesus today? You're here because you either love him or you're searching for him. And he, in, the, in that instant that we give our hearts to him, he fills us. What are we going to do with what he's put in us? Can we pour that out? Our relationship with Jesus, it is personal, but he calls us to live in a community, to live in a, a communal way.